0: Every year, about this time, someone will ask me, Why did Jesus have to die? It's a big question. It's an important question. And it's a hard question uh, because what you see here in John and in the other Gospels is brutal. Judas betrays Jesus for money. Jesus hears Peter, who with James and John were closest to Jesus, deny him from across the room. Uh, Did you ever notice that Jesus doesn't just divinely know that Peter denied him? These aren't big houses. Peter is standing in the doorway, and Jesus, with his own ears, hears Peter standing in the doorway say, Jesus who? I don't know Jesus. Jesus is interrogated, lied about, beaten, spit on, flogged, mocked, and then marched To his own terrible, awful death on the cross. And I know I say this every year, but it bears repeating again. On the cross, Jesus had six to nine inch spikes driven between the bones of his ankles and wrists. And because of the angle of the crucifixion, people can only breathe by using the nails as leverage to inhale. So by pulling down on their wrists and pushing up with their ankles to breathe in, as a matter of fact, the most common way of dying on the cross was asphyxiation, not being able to breathe, more so than pain. Why does Jesus have to die? John gives us an answer. He says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture. Jesus' suffering and death on the cross is necessary in order to fulfill the Bible. In other words, if Jesus didn't die, the scriptures would be incomplete and unfinished. And one answer to why is found in the context of Jesus' death. Jesus dies during the Passover celebration. If you don't know, Passover celebrates God's salvation of Israel from slavery in Egypt when he had uh, the Israelites paint uh, the blood of a sheep around the frame of their doorways. And that blood represented the sheep suffering and dying in Israel's place so they could be freed from death and enter into life with God. Why Why sheep? Well, it all goes back to God's covenant with Abraham. Uh, We talked about this in the service a few weeks ago. We talked about this in profession of faith class kids uh, last week, God made a covenant with Abraham by having Abraham take a cow, a ram, a sheep, and two pigeons, which all represent the different kinds of animals ancient Israel would sacrifice, depending on their financial means and also the kind of sacrifice they were offering. And he had Abraham kill them and lay them one across from each other so that their blood pooled into a pathway. And then God makes a promise to Abraham. God promises, I will be your God, and I will be your children's God. I will bless the nations through you and through your children, and I will give you a place where we can all live together in holiness and in love forever. In Abraham, you are going to promise to follow me perfectly. And then Abraham falls asleep terribly afraid. Uh, Because he knows that by walking through that pathway of blood, he will be saying, if I don't keep my part of the covenant, God, you can do this to me. You can kill me. But then what happens? God walks through the path on his own behalf and on Abraham's behalf. So, not only does God say to Abraham, If I don't do what I promised, you can kill me. God also says, And Abraham, if you don't do what you promised, you can do this to me. I will die for you if and when you fail. In other words, God's promise to Abraham and to his people is I will forgive you and I will endure your, the punishment for your failures. For you, Why would God make this promise? Well, it actually all goes back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Where Adam disobeys God, he eats the fruit of a tree, and he brings death and sin to himself and to all of us. But what does God do there? Well, he says to them, much like he says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. And that child is going to be struck by a serpent, which means that child is going to die. But through that death, he is going to crush the serpent's head. And in doing that, he will restore our life together that has been lost today by your sin. I will live with you, God says. I will bless you. And I will again give us a place to live in holiness and in love forever. And that's going to happen because I will forgive you And because one of your children is going to endure justice, death, on your behalf. All of which brings me to another part of Jesus' uh, crucifixion, the context for Jesus' death. In Matthew's Gospel, we read that Jesus entered into darkness at the sixth hour, which is noon. Why does that matter? Well, after Exodus, God wants Israel to remember that her salvation comes because something else has died for them in their place. And he wants Israel also to remember that one day God would die in their place. That he would die for their sins. He would die for our sins, for our idolatry, for our faithlessness, our perversities and lusts, our pride our anger, our greed, our covetousness, our bitterness, our hatred, our sins. And so he set up a sacrificial system where a lamb was slain for them on the altar. And to remind Israel that that was happening, he had them blow a trumpet to tell them wherever they were, the lamb is symbolically dying for us. God is going to keep his word. God is going to die for us. We are going to be justly forgiven. We are going to be blessed with a permanent holy communion with him. The Satan, the serpent, will be crushed. Israel's holy day of rest is Saturday. The sacrifices for Passover happened at noon on Friday. At the sixth hour, when darkness fell, And Jesus entered into hell, which is another word for God's justice on the cross. The trumpet blew. Only this time it didn't signal that a lamb was symbolically dying. It blew because God himself was actually dying. Spilling his blood that would cover us and save us from death and from sin and from hell. And so that he could secure his promise to us, written in the Bible, to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, to Israel, to us. To secure the promise that Satan's head would be crushed by the death of one of our children and by God's own death. To secure the promise that God would be our God and that we would be his people, that we will bless the nations through the gospel, and that we will get a new permanent home in the new heavens and earth together through God's actions. And because the cross of Jesus had now, because on the cross Jesus had now kept these promises and secured them that he made all the way back in the beginning, he asked for something to drink. So that with a clear voice, he could tell us from his throne on the cross, which is how Jesus talks about it in the Gospel of John, it is finished. It's fulfilled. It's done. My promises to you in the Bible are filled full. And this is why Jesus had to die. He had to die to keep his promises to us. And this is also, kids, why we call this Good Friday. Because it's the day when we mournfully celebrate God's goodness in fulfilling and securing all of his promises for salvation to us by dying in our place, as he promised, so that we can live in a life of holiness and righteousness and love with God and with each other forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what Jesus did for us on the cross We thank you that through his voluntarily entering, leaving heaven and entering into our life, being born of a virgin, living a perfect life, suffering on our behalf, enduring hell on the cross, that we who are sinners could become the righteousness of God through the great mediatory love of the one who who knew no sin, Father, your love for us is great, and it is amazing. And Lord, we pray that you would give us a more and more thorough and profound understanding of just how faithful you are to us and how wonderfully you must love us because you have promised repeatedly throughout the Bible that you will be with us, and we know that you have secured your promises for us in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.